God is good? Okay, there was one of you. Okay. <laughs> Are you all excited to be here? Uh, man, uh, Sunday should be uh, the most joyous day of the week. You know, we all can gather together with believers, seeing that God is good. And all the time. Amen. Amen. Okay. I was just making sure because I was looking out and I was seeing some somber faces. So, all right. Well, let us go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our minds and hearts to hear from God's word. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity. Lord, it is a privilege that we can come to you today in prayer. That you have allowed us this opportunity that even despite our sins, Lord, that we can hear from your word and see how to apply it to our lives. Lord, we know that application is by means of your spirit. And so we pray that as we look at the text today, if you would help us to look at our own lives, to examine ourselves, and to heed the warnings that, that take place. Lord, please work on our hearts. Help us to turn from sin, to believe upon you, and to live in a way that is honoring and pleasing unto you. Thank you for our time today. Please open our hearts, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 One of the most memorable moments most have is when they receive their driver's permit. Can you recall the joy of either receiving or knowing or if you have kids, when your child receives their driver's permit. I remember it, it was like yesterday. Primarily, <laughs> primarily because I had failed the permit test five times. Receiving my permit was glorious because of the affirmation I was permitted to drive on the state-controlled and governed roads. You are permitted to drive a motor vehicle and can go wherever you please. However, the more you drive, the more you begin to realize that there are some restrictions you can't drive as fast as you want. You wonder, you begin to think to yourself, how is it that a car can go up to 120 miles per hour, yet the max I can go on the freeway is 75 or 80? I am permitted to do certain things with the car, but within reason or should the state have a anything-goes mentality? In our society, some think with the mindset that we should be able to do what we want and have others put up with my decisions. 
I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. But the question is, should this apply to the church? Should the church adopt a permissive culture and or put up with false teaching and the individual not face any repercussions? One church started to tolerate sin and without guardrails, it began to go off course. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 2 and verses 18 through 29. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And in this letter, the apostle John identifies four approaches aiding us in seeing the dangers of being a permissive church. Four approaches aiding us in seeing the dangers of being a permissive church. He does this by first commending the church in verses 18 through 19, by correcting the church in verses 20 through 21, in cautioning the church in verses 22 through 23, and finally, by counseling in verses 24 through 29. So for those of you who are taking notes, commending the church in verses 18 through 19, correcting in verses 20 through 21, cautioning in verses 22 through 23, and finally, counseling in verses 24 through 29. Let's begin now in verse 18. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. The apostle John picks up with his fourth message to the seven churches. He has already given messages to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and now he says, and to the angel and to the angel. Once again, this is to a messenger, either a pastor or a transcendent power who carries out the task or missions or plans for God. Someone who speaks on behalf of God. To the angel of the church, the local assembly, where? and Thyatira. Now, with these messages to the churches, it is important to have a little background. Thyatira was a city in the province of Lydia in Western Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. We remember Lydia, right? Lydia was the Apostle Paul's first convert in Europe. She was a seller of purple fabrics in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Thyatira was situated on the road between Pergamum and Sardis. The culture at large worshiped 
Helios, Apollo, the sun god, and other Macedonian and Greek deities. Thyatira had a busy industrial life with plenty of trade guilds and unions. And in order to have financial and social success, you would need membership in these organizations. Participation with these guilds would involve, though, idolatrous practices, superstitious worship, eating food sacrificed to pagan gods, and sexual immorality. In order to be successful, you needed to be part of this group. By the way, if you are in this club, if you are in this cult or tribe, this means bowing the knee to Baal. This means participating in idolatry. This means doing some grotesque sins, sacrificing the truth for what is an outright lie. The angel was to write. Here are your instructions. The words or the sayings of who? He says in verse 18, the son of God. Now, John wasn't instructed to write anyone's words. He wasn't even instructed to write his own. He was to be obedient in writing down the words of the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the great I am. But if you notice, John specifically writes the Son of God as here as opposed to other letters. Now, why is this? Thyatira was known for worshiping Helios Apollo, who was also known as the son of Zeus. And John makes it clear these words are coming from Jesus Christ, the son of the Almighty God, the one who is supreme even over your little bitty son God. Jesus Christ is supreme over all. He is the son of the living and true God. And look at how he is described next. He is described as one who has eyes like a flame of fire. Bright, blazing, intense eyes. You think hazel eyes or something. These eyes were bright. They were blazing, and this could indicate that he has the ability to see through the lies of false teachers. Notice he says next, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now his feet isn't bronze because they are hurting and he's been on them all day. But it conveys the idea of strength of splendor and judgment taken from the heavenly vision in Daniel chapter 10, where the man who appears to display the judgment of God against the evil nations. Verse 19, John continues, and he says, I know 
I am aware. I am conscious of your works. Jesus says he knows their deeds. Let's pause. Even when we think he isn't watching, Jesus is intimately aware of what we do. He knows what's on your mind. He knows what social media websites you go into. He knows what you do and what you are thinking about. He even knows some of you have already checked out and you already thinking about what's for lunch. Jesus pays attention to, in this case, the good deeds of the church. He says, hey, I'm aware of you giving out food to the poor. I know you give money. I know you have clothing drives. I am conscious of your back-to-school drives, Temple Hills. But not only that, but your love. Church of Thyatira, you show love. You sacrifice for one another. You give of yourself for the sake of others. Someone is hurting or experiencing a trial and you aid them. Your works, your love, and look what else he says, and your faith. This church was unashamed of the gospel. They proudly proclaimed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You walk up to one of their members and you was going to hear about how good God is. They were on fire for the Lord. You walk up to one of them and you might hear a sermon. They truly believed in God. They, the Lord knew about their faith, but also, he says, their service. They served one another. They helped to prepare one another for God's work. Get this. Love and faith enriches believers for service and perseverance. Say that again. Love and faith enriches believers for service and perseverance. They helped one another, and Jesus knew of their patient endurance. This was a church that, in spite of the persecution they faced, they were faithful witnesses of Christ's love. They endured hardship, and yet they continued to serve others. Would this describe you as well? How well have you persevered in the spite of opposition? In our last trial, did we faithfully proclaim Christ, recognize his love, and continue to serve others? Or perhaps we complain, Lord, why is this happening to us? Or did we fail to pray or even think about Christ's love for us and ask, 
Lord, what is the reasoning for this? How are you growing me? How are you helping me to think more about you? But look at what else John says about this church. He says, and that your latter works exceed the first. The things you have done recently, the works you have done lately are greater than what you have done at first. This is something to be commended. You sharing the gospel? Persisting, you're persisting through hardship? You showing love to others? You serving others? This is fantastic. And you are doing it now more than you did at first. Seems not bad for a church, right? In fact, these believers may have been thinking and hoping that the letter ended right there. Your chest is poking out, big smiles across your face, got a niche in your pants, time to go home. God is pleased with us. We have done this, we have done that. However, this is why we must be careful of our works or deeds because they can be deceiving. As members are getting up from their seats, ready to walk out the room, the messenger says, wait a minute, not so fast. Some correction is needed. Verse 20, but I have this against you. Jesus is displeased. This is hostile in sense. I am unhappy with you. Some issues need to be addressed, and it is this, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. This is one name you don't want to name your daughter. For a male, you don't want to name your son Judas. For a female, you don't want to name your daughter Jezebel. <laughs> Two names that start with J. <laughs> Jezebel is known as being one of the most evil women in all of Scripture. Jesus uses this Old Testament reference to illustrate what is taking place within this church. We should be reminded, though, nothing new is under the sun. But who is Jezebel? Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16. She was a dictator corrupting her husband and the nation of Israel by promoting pagan worship, but eventually would assist the city in worshiping Baal. Jezebel was powerful and would support numerous pagan prophets. And even when the Lord would have prophets rise up against the immorality taking place, she would have them killed. She was so feared even Elijah ran for his life in 1 Kings chapter 19. She was no joke. Her husband would eventually die, and she would reign 10 more years through her sons. 
It was only when her sons were killed that she was thrown out of a window to be trampled by horses and eaten by dogs. There is a woman who was in the church of Thyatira, possibly named Jezebel. And what is she doing? First, she calls herself a prophetess. She walks around saying that she speaks for God and communicates God's message. The Lord has given me a word, a self-professing prophetess. Notice, the text doesn't indicate God calls her, but rather, she calls herself. John says, Jezebel is teaching or instructing while seducing, misleading, causing my servants to go astray. She is the leader of a movement. She was leading Christ's bond servants astray. And what is she leading them actively to? John says, to practice sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, the word here in the Greek is simply immorality. It could be physical sex, the actual act, but it also could be spiritual. Well, what do you mean? Jezebel in the Old Testament, influenced Ahab and God's people to adopt Baal worship, which is immorality, idolatry. The worship of pagan gods is understood as immorality and adultery. The description of adultery was used when Israel would be accused by God numerous times because of her idolatry. Now, Thyatira had societies and guilds that if you weren't a member by participation, it could be difficult in many cases to make a living. So the pressure was on for Christians to engage in certain practices. Not participating could result in social isolation and economic hardship. When Christians would refuse to participate, they could face anger, economic repercussions, and possibly lose their jobs. It may have looked a little something like this. Family, this is Jezebel, your preacher today, and I have a word from the Lord. I want you to know that there is nothing wrong with you taking part in the eating of food sacrificed to idols. We all believe in Christ. So you are covered by the blood. There is nothing wrong with you participating in the celebration of Zeus. It means nothing. You can still do this and be saved. You can freely do what you want because you are in Christ. Participate now. Get this. Listen to me closely. Participate so you won't lose your job or money. So you won't make these people mad over here at you. Just do it. And for many, her words would be taken as true. Now, here's how it might sound in our day. Go ahead 
and participate advocating for the rights of the sexually immoral because you don't want to make them mad. Notice I said sexually immoral. That is not only just homo, but hetero as well. You don't want to seem uncool. As a side note, sexual immorality is everywhere. On television, on the radio, our culture is inundated with immoral sex. I was even reminded on a show that I grew up watching, for years, the couple word was together and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Man, Martin and Gina was never married and they was shacking up. <laughs> Participate in this type of sin and if not, you will lose your job. People automatically think sexual immorality, but it also could be pride, slander, selfishness, greed, or lying. If you don't do this, then this is the result. You will be ostracized. If you don't join this particular political party, you are not a Christian. If you don't align yourself with this group or that group, it even occurs in Christian circles. If you aren't reformed, you probably don't have sound doctrine. And we, and the problem is, we don't see that this type of rhetoric can be dangerous. It can lead to believing a false gospel. Because in essence, if you don't align exactly with my beliefs outside of the gospel, then you are a heretic. The church of Thyatira was unwilling to take a stand against this false teacher. They were not firmly opposing this false teaching. But what about you? What about us? When we are faced with a situation, either at home, at work, or some other location, even within our family, are we tempted to compromise? Or will we stand boldly for the name of Christ? When false teaching is present, will you quietly turn the other cheek or will you contend for the faith? When false teaching comes on our televisions, are we able to think through and compare the truth, compare it with the truth as opposed to what the lie is being presented? Jezebel was spewing false teaching all over the church of Thyatira. It was going unchallenged. The church was permitting these ideas to permeate the church, and Jesus was more than gracious. He knew what was going on. This was being allowed, and he has been patient. How? Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. Jezebel had been given the opportunity to repent. And this brings up an interesting point. Jesus gave her time to repent, and he is giving someone in here time to repent as well. Jesus has been calling you 
and demonstrating his grace and his mercy in your life. Yet time after time, the hardness of your heart has rejected him. But that still, small voice has been calling you, telling you, turn from your sins, turn to him today. Deny yourself, ask for forgiveness, cry out to him. You see what sin and death and destruction is doing in your life and has done in your life, and the time is now. If this is you today, believe in Jesus. Live your life for him because I cannot guarantee that you will have time left. Today may be your day. As soon as you leave from here, Jesus may say that your life is required. Don't take his grace for granted. I went through that this week, finding out as my cousin woke up in the morning, she didn't know that in a matter of minutes that her life would be taken from her in a car accident. And she was only 33. Death knows no age. Jezebel had time to repent. But notice what he says next. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. No sorrow, no indication of caring, just apathetic. And we are strikingly similar today. It may not be sexual immorality, but we can be just like Jezebel. How so? Because we refuse to repent. We can say what we want and slander or gossip against someone else because we feel justified. But who do you need to ask for forgiveness today because you have neglected their correction? Oh, we could do what we want because we have freedoms. We have the Constitution. But for the true believer, he or she knows that to be in Christ may mean sacrificing my freedom for the betterment of someone else. And the Apostle Paul shows us a great example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But sin wants what it wants and doesn't care who or what it harms. It doesn't care the relationship that you have with the Lord is actually destroying it. Members of this congregation were fornicating with the harlot and God had given them time, yet she refused to repent. He was giving correction. I remember going through school and when my teachers would want to show me when I had messed up, they would do so on my paper with a red pen. I hated that dreaded red pen. I remember my teacher marking up one of my papers so bad one time. It had so much red ink, it looked as if she had dropped some Kool-Aid not the red punch flavor, but the red flavor 
or it had bled on it. And I hated this pen because it was always an indication of, Warner, your paper doesn't have it all together. You need correction. Your words was misspelled. You didn't add punctuation. I would feel some type of way any time I saw that correction. And not only would I get it at school, but my mom was a teacher, and she would do it at home to my papers too. The red pens exposed the pride in my heart, the always wanting to be right, the longing for perfection that is seen only in my own eyes. The problem is, because of our pride, we tend to hate correction. Jesus has a red pen, but it doesn't come in the form of an actual pen, but he comes with his word. He uses his word to correct our lives. And this is the form of love. I love you so much that I am willing to point out your blind spots so you can see what true love is and what true love does. Correction is needed in our lives. Family, these false teachers weren't only prevalent in biblical days, but false teachers are prevalent today. They can come widely and be known like prosperity preachers. They can come in the media and who you follow, but they can also come appearing to be sound and you trust them because such and such says that they are good. But failing in the instructions on what 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, when he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That even stands for us today. We should all have our Bibles open, looking at the word to see what the preacher is preaching, whether it's myself or Omar, is he preaching according to what the Bible says? And if not, and I have questions, then after service, I need to stop him and say, hey, I got questions about this. Can you defend what you have said up there on the pulpit with the word? Is it sound? Is it healthy? But often, we follow individuals not because what they say from the, world, from the word of God, but because they fit our ideology or our agenda and what would make our lives more peaceful. Jezebel failed the test. She was unwilling to repent, and Thyatira had the opportunity to change their ways, but time was almost up. We've looked at how John has commended this church, how he has corrected this church. Now let us look at his caution for this church in verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, behold, or look, pay careful attention. I will. Three times he says, I will. This is a guarantee. This is a future tense. 
I will throw her, being Jezebel, unto a sickbed. I will cast her on a bed of sickness. Christ is going to strike her with a lingering illness serving as divine punishment. A bed of pain. Why a bed? Jezebel and her followers would recline on marble bed like couches while dining in the banquet halls of pagan temples. The freedom to lie on these couches and enjoy the pleasures, both sexual and non, God would turn into a bed of sickness. But she isn't the only one who will face judgment. Look at who else. And those who commit adultery with her. She isn't alone. She has enticed others to participate in sin. But what will happen to them? I will throw into great tribulation. Christ is going to inflict divine punishment on her fellow adulterers. Who are these adulterers? Church members. People in the church drawn into her teaching, but who haven't gone all the way to the deep end of the pool. The ones who are playing with fire, not expecting to get burned. They have their ears open, but not yet fully committed. They have been coming most days when she preaches. This draws us to another thought. Being a pastor is already a weighty task, but I'd be even more careful in professing myself to be a woman who's a pastor. Here, we believe women have a number of God-given roles and teaching opportunities within the guidelines of Scripture. But this woman is proclaiming, thus says the Lord before the congregation, and individuals are following. Jesus says they have judgment coming unless they repent of her works. Judgment is imminent unless they live in holy fear of God's righteous anger and turn from her works. Jesus isn't playing any games. But Jezebel has some children some devoted followers. Look now at verse 23. And I will strike her children dead. The word for strike here also can mean kill. Children does not mean here as biological offspring, but rather those who follow her teaching, those who have been led astray and convinced of her teachings, the ones who are happily swimming in the deep end of the pool. They will be struck down dead. Jesus will carry out this judgment. And if you think he hasn't, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were struck down immediately after lying to God. They will get struck with a fatal illness, and this will be on display. And notice he says next in verse 23, 
all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts. He is the one who examines the minds and hearts. It's rather interesting, though, how we tend to judge the hearts and motives of others. And for this, we should repent. Oh, this person did this because I I know what you were thinking because I know you. Even though a person may have a pattern, we say, I know exactly what you were thinking in that moment. Family, nothing we do or think will get by the Lord because there is only one who has the ability to know what is going on in our minds and the reasons why we do at the time, the reasons why we do the things that we do at the times in which we do them. He is going to make the critical investigation. Jesus knows us to the core of our beings. Now, I won't say this by a show of hands. When is the last time you were convinced you knew the reasoning why a person was doing what they were doing? I think all of us would be guilty at that. And this is a warning for all of us, including myself. Because while we are concerned with the speck in someone else's eye, we need to be concerned about the log in our own eye. In fact, it even has spread out weird comments like, the church is this, or the church is that, or whatever negativity is associated. But the church is Christ's bride. The church is way bigger than the church in America. Christ knows the details of his churches. He knows the details of Temple Hills Baptist and the issues facing each of its members. And it will result either in rewards or punishment. Notice he says next, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I will reward you on the basis of your deeds or I will judge accordingly on the basis of your deeds. John has provided correction. He's just finished with cautions. And last, he's going to give some counsel to this church in verses 24 through 29. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, to the remaining the ones outside of the warnings and cautions just pronounced. The ones who do not hold this teaching. I know so far you've been like, man, this is a lot of bad news. Man, Lord, when are we going to get something good? Listen to this. The ones outside of the warnings pronounced. The ones who do not hold this teaching. They are the ones who do not cling to false teachings. Those who have remained faithful by not succumbing to this evil teaching. Now, how do we know that it was evil? Well, look at how it has been categorized. He says, those who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Jezebel claimed to know the deep things of God. But really, he says, these are the deep things of Satan. They thought these teachings were deep. Oh, it sounds so spiritual. But yet, they were what some said as 
satanic. This teaching that Christians can participate in idolatrous practices, that what you do in the physical doesn't matter, and the only thing that matters is the spiritual, sounds similar to the false teaching prevalent that day of Gnosticism. But family, how we live our lives matters to God. This is why we must be careful with those who claim to have new revelations or deeper truths into the scriptures. This is why we must be careful when individuals make proclamations about the church. Oh, the church is going down. No, the truth of the scriptures says this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And say that again, because you hear so much of that today. Oh, the church is going down. Oh, the church is this. Christ said, I will build my church. Well, amen. He says, I got this. Amen. And ain't nothing Satan or anyone else can do going to prevail over it. He continues with, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Jesus doesn't lay any other burden, no other weight. He won't ask them to do anything else. Now, this doesn't mean that they are to oppose any other false teaching that presents itself, as believers are always to practice discernment. But in this case, he won't ask anything else but, verse 25, only hold fast to what you have. Family, remain faithful. You who don't hold to the teaching of Jezebel, the deep things of Satan, you have the truth, the deep things of God. Remain faithful. And some of you, even today, are struggling with false teaching so prevalent. You wonder where God is in the midst. From the news media to blog articles, so many things are leaving you without hope, without peace, wondering where is God in all of this? I have never seen so many people not only just getting sick, but they're dying, and you're seeing false teachers come out, and you're seeing so many conspiracy theories, and you're just seeing so much that our culture is inundated, and it leaves you with a sense of, God, where are you in all of this? And God is saying, remain faithful. Hold fast. Remain faithful, family. Jesus says all of these things. You notice how when they repeat things in Scripture, they want us to get it. Why? Because as soon as we walk out of the building, we're forgetting already, thinking about our days. We remain faithful. He sees you. Remain committed to his word no matter what. Hold fast to what is true. But how long, Jesus, how long? I know weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And sometimes I want to ask, how long is the night? Jesus says, until I come. Persevere until Christ returns. Persevere until the end, because those who overcome will reign in his kingdom. Don't give up. In the words of Dory in the movie, Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. 
Verse 26, and if you do, if you just keep swimming, a reward is coming. The one who conquers or the one who overcomes, the one who has victory in the face of these obstacles. First John chapter five, verse five, identifies them as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who conquers over this satanic teaching and he says, who keeps my works until the end who holds Christ's deeds, who is protective over Christ's teachings for how long? Until the end. Now, a promise is about to be made to the one who displays faithful allegiance to the will of Christ. The one who is faithful despite the hostile environment of wickedness, idolatry, and immorality. There is hope. Some will overcome. The scary truth is, some of us will not. Fortunately, there may be some here in this building today who cave to false teaching, who cave to the pressures of society, whether to the right or to the left. Lord, may we be a body of believers who display complete and absolute allegiance to you. Because the only way to be a conqueror is to persevere through Jesus' word and his works. You can, be a, you can claim to be a Christian all day, but it isn't, if it isn't lived out in your life, are you truly a Christian? The truth is lived out in our actions. I'll never forget the day when I was dating my now wife, when I told her, you need to learn good doctrine. And I said it with that, you need to learn good doctrine. She looked at me, knowing all the sins I had been committing, and said, brother, you need to live good doctrine. You need to live good doctrine. But as for this church, If they persevere, if the believers in the church of Thyatira persevere, to him I will give authority over the nations. This is the promise. He will have authority and power over the nations. Believers in Christ will share in his messianic rule, his rule and reign over the entire world. And not only that, verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is quoted from Psalm chapter 2 in reference to believers reigning with Christ. The word for rule is that of protects or governs. He shall rule them with a rod or staff, a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken into pieces. The imagery here gives the indication of a potter throwing his jars on the floor to break it. In the same way, the rebellious nations will be scattered. Absolute devastation will come to the hostile nations from the Messiah and his people. The Father gives authority to the Son, and the Son gives authority to the conquerors. And Christ confirms this when he says, even as I myself have received authority from the Father. 
Believers will participate in the final judgment over rebellious nations while reigning with Jesus in his kingdom. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. Who is the morning star? Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 says this. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus will not only give us the victory. He will not only give those who remain faithful the victory, but he will give us himself. This is the ultimate goal, being and reigning with Jesus. People say all the time, oh, I want to go to heaven. Oh, I'm going to heaven. Believers, though, want to go to heaven because they know that that's where Jesus is. They want to be where Jesus is, tasting and seeing that he is good, clinging to him, desiring him, wanting more of him. He is the morning star. And John concludes, verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You have a ear? You know, those two things on the side of your, your head? Listen up. This isn't just for Thyatira. Even though this message is written directly to Thyatira, but this is instruction for the churches. It has been divinely brought by the Spirit. If you have spiritual ears, if you have been changed to hear the voice of the Lord, listen up. Clean the wax out. Listen up. This is for you. We have looked at four approaches aiding us in seeing the dangers of being a permissive church. This has been done by commending the church, correcting the church, cautioning the church, and counseling the church. Now, God has given us guardrails because if we don't, we will self-destruct. We would allow and permit so many things, falling into all types of immorality and idolatry, where we would all end up in hell. But I'm thankful to be in a congregation full of believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can say that I'm so thankful that if myself or Omar were to get up here and to start saying something crazy, somebody would grab us off. But that's just the Christ working in you. That's the Spirit of God protecting his church. And it's not for myself or Omar to build our kingdom we are about building the Lord's kingdom. Because when we die, ain't nobody going to remember us. But we, he will remember his word. He loves us so much. The Lord loves us so much to warn us when we are wrong. He loves us so much to show us our shortcomings, our sins, our ways in which we displease him. And this is a reason to give thanks. Permitting or tolerating sin leads us on a highway to hell. And so may the Lord continue to guide and protect us 
as we, as we navigate the different challenges through our lifetime. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Father, such a weighty text before us as we see just how much works can be deceiving. Lord, this church was known for so many good acts and so many good deeds, but yet, Lord, they permitted, they were tolerant of false teaching right before their midst. Lord, I pray that that may not be said before our church. Lord, I pray that this local assembly here will guard against false teaching that if any of the pastors, if we speak anything that is false and not according to your word, that you empower these believers before us to remove from the mist. Lord, I pray that even so, as we go forward, that we may, that you may give us a spirit of discernment, that you may guide us in all of our interactions, not just here within the church, but outside as well. Lord, we need you. We need spiritual eyes, and true spiritual eyes, true 2020 vision comes by you. So would you be with us now, and even as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, in Jesus' name, amen.